0: Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. wa nasalli ala Rasulihil Karim. we express our praise and gratitude to Allah Taala, and we seek blessings upon the Prophet, peace be upon him. Okay, so continuing on with with uh, our exploration of the story of the children of Israel, we are um, let's just go to those ayahs. And right here we have, um, can you all see uh, my computer? Good, okay. So just letting you know, my my internet has been crashing quite a bit. So hopefully in the rear time, both computers crashed. So hopefully we will make it through inshallah without, without uh, much sidetrack. Okay, so we've actually completed the first subsection of the Narrative on the Children of Israel. So we are now going to be looking at the next subsection beginning with Ayah 47. But to give you a, a simple map of, of what we've covered, let's go back to my wonderful uh, whiteboard. And in this whiteboard, so we have what we were calling part two, which was I as forty. Forty through seventy four. So the first part is is forty through forty six. And the second part is going to be uh, I as forty seven through fifty nine. Yeah, sorry, forty two forty six. That looks like gibberish. Okay. And so this is introductory commands. And what is the theme? The theme is embrace the prophet.
1: Okay
0: and now 47 through59 is going to be the narrative of Allah's favors to the children of Israel.. Okay and their consequent decline. And then we're gonna add more as as we get there, inshallah. Okay. So right now we are in this section, uh, as 47 through 59. And our big uh, issue first is the issue of narratives. Now what's interesting is that most of the Quran does not work in the form of narratives and by narratives I mean it's something synonymous with a mixture of history, mythology, Allegory. So every person has a narrative. Every community has a narrative. And sometimes it is consciously constructed by the people themselves. Sometimes it's imposed by power. And so the narrative, one of the points we made in terms of the calendar of of Muslim holidays versus the calendar of Jewish holidays is that Muslim holidays, uh, the big ones being the two Eids, uh, but if we also include Ramadan itself uh, or the Hajj, because those take place at certain times of the year, all of our holidays our observances relate to obedience of Allah. That's pretty much all of our holidays. We may tie them into history. For example, the life of the prophet, peace be upon him. Ramadan is when he received the Quran. Uh, Hajj is multiple levels of history. It's a story of the prophet, peace be upon him. Prior to that, it's a story of Ibrahim, peace be upon him. So forth and so on. But if we contrast that with the Jewish holidays, the point we made the other day was that if you look at Jewish holidays, over and over again, it's survival against persecution and then celebration uh, or commemoration of the survival. That's literally how a rabbi, a rabbi explained it to me and he even did it in funnier terms. He says, you know, someone tries to kill us, we survive, then we have a party. Yeah. And so so if we were to say that, then try to make sense of American holidays. First, looking through the calendar. So what we're saying here is narrative includes... the calendar um, as well as history. So if we think of the the calendar with emphasis on holidays and look at the American calendar, I know some of you are outside of America, some of you in that place up north that we call Canada or something like that. I don't know what it's called, yeah. And then some of you are in different parts of the world. But if you go through the calendar, What's the most repeated holiday in the American calendar? And feel free to either turn off your microphone or just type in the chat box.
2: Fourth of July.
0: Uh, So that's once a year. I'm thinking of something that's repeated more than that. But the Fourth of July is definitely one of the important ones. Anyone? The weekend. The weekend. Saturday and Sunday. Right? Sunday that officially is a day of worship. Right? Or it's a day of football. But officially it's a day of worship. Now we might look in the history of the American calendar and connect Sunday with the sun, Monday with the moon. And I forgot what, what Tuesday was connected to, you know, either Abdullah or Mossad probably know this. And then Friday, Friday would be for us. Yes. Uh, then what do you have with Tuesday? Wednesday was some Roman God. Thursday is Thursday. Saturday is Saturday is Saturn, Saturn, but uh, but the most repeated holiday of the whole calendar is Sunday. It's related to Christianity. Okay. And then, and so, so that's the day of rest. But then when we go through the calendar, so we have give or take about a dozen holidays, you know, that are the official national holidays. One is Martin Luther King Day. Okay. Then we have President's Day. We used to have a holiday in, in March, but it doesn't seem like we have an official holiday right now. And then uh, April, May, we have Memorial Day. And then we have 4th of July, right? Now, tax day is not a holiday, though. Then we have 4th of July. And then we have Labor Day. Good. And then we have Columbus Day. And then Thanksgiving. And then Christmas. And there's a couple of big ones in there that I'm forgetting. Oh, New Year's Day at the beginning. Uh, if we were to look at all of these, What is the story of America according to our holy days? So one is Christianity with Sunday that we've already said is replaced by football. Like literally that's what's said about the NFL. They own a day of the calendar. What else? Looking at all these holidays, how would you describe describe the American narrative based purely on calendar? I would say revolution and social progress are a big part of it. Yeah, especially revolution and social progress including the military, but even how we frame Memorial Day. Oh, in November, we also have Veterans Day. It's also a celebration of the military in terms of service of protecting America, right, protecting the American vision. Good Friday used to be a holiday. Good Friday, I always joke around because I'm at a Catholic school that when I went on Hudge, um, you know, I was blessed to go on Hudge about 20 some years ago. And I had one less vacation day than when I needed, and my boss was like this right wing evangelical and she gave me the, the the trip to go on hudge and It just so happened that one of the, those days was good friday and so then I thank all the Catholics for for keeping that on the calendar anyway so but uh, so Easter would also we 'd also put that on the calendar, yeah, we would um, uh, Sharif put it a really good way uh, the price of freedom all of these are celebrations of freedom and everything that's involved in celebration of freedom. Whether we're talking about Dr. King, or whether we're talking about the military, or whether we're talking about the workers, all of these are part of the American story. And the American story, the narrative is one of freedom. And built into freedom is what? Self-determination. That's very, very much part of the whole American uh, mythology. If we speak of American history, this is something that that we've talked about in, in the first course, that it's often something like this. And so we have the Fertile Crescent as sort of the origin of civilization. And then after that, we have Greece as the ideal period of philosophy and democracy. And then we have Rome as the period of ideal, empire then we have the dark ages then we have the renaissance and reformation and what's taking place the reformation we are liberating ourselves from the church and we can get to god directly and the renaissance is this golden age of art as well as the flowering of a new type of economy and then we have the enlightenment And the Industrial Revolution, that's a D. Let's just write it up, Industrial. So now with the Enlightenment, we're saying we don't even need religion. So the uh, Reformation saying we don't need the church and the Enlightenment saying we don't even need religion to have a better life. The Industrial Revolution is restructuring of very serious restructuring of of, of the economy by way of production. And then we have essentially the science era. We might call it modernity, although modernity might go all the way back to the Industrial Revolution and such. And so what are we saying in the science era? And, and we've already gone through this many times in different forms with myself and also with uh, Adnan's class. Now we're saying science has the answer to everything. But at the top of all this is the USA. And the arrow is going up. So even in terms of types of narratives, the two common types of narratives, one is often called traditional, and the other is often called the modern. And the traditional narrative is saying the best of generations was at the beginning. And the further we are away from that generation, the more downhill we're going. And the modern narrative is often associated with progress that the best of generations is in the future. And the closer we get to the future, so to speak, the better things are getting. In the traditional narrative, we revere the elders. And we look at the youth as these people who need to be formed. In the modern narrative, looking at tomorrow, we're saying essentially that the youth are the ones that are carrying our legacy. So this is what we often have in terms of different narratives. The American narrative is very much what we would in this framing call a modern a modernist narrative, good. But then <laughs> when we get into things like, uh, what's his name? Uh, who's the people's history guy with the Z? People's history of the United States. Z- Howard Zinn. Zinn, Zinn, yeah, very good. And so think of how different this whole narrative would be, right? What's missing from here? So let's see, right here, we are missing slavery. Uh, right here, we are missing the genocide of the Native Americans or the indigenous population. And then slavery, it's also followed by. Emancipation, Reconstruction, Jim Crow, Civil Rights Movement, so forth and so on, and so these are often what I have on the dark red line, the crimson line, the line of blood is uh, is essentially like the big big periods that are often emphasized as what's leading to the greatness of America. But even in terms of the periods, the Enlightenment is preceded and followed by other other periods in in, in thought. Uh, this period that we call the Dark Ages. This period of feudalism is also contributing to what eventually becomes the renaissance when they're in the renaissance they didn't think hey we're in the renaissance now you know this gets labeled later on and so often a group's mythology will either see themselves as the heroes or as the victims here the story of america is a story of heroes with occasional moments of victims the way now kids are being taught about 9 11 my generation was taught about pearl harbor as this moment where we were attacked by the evil other forces, the evil fascist forces back then of the Japanese rather than Muslims.
1: So where do you fit the contemporary Muslims, heroes or victims?
0: Okay, well, that's the next question. Perfect segue into the next question. If you were to speak of a Muslim narrative, and I'm not saying what is history, like that, the, the, the drawing we made at the very end of my class, I'm saying in terms of Muslim consciousness, I'm gonna suggest to you that for most Muslims, it is the period of the prophet peace be upon him. To some degree, the period in terms of Sunni thought of the rightly guided Khalifas. And then you have a couple of blips. You have a couple of heroes like Salahuddin, maybe uh, Omar bin Abdulaziz. And then uh, we might even for, to make all the, the daisies happy, we have uh, Muhammad bin Qasim, which um, is the arrival of, of Islam in Northern India. Okay, hey, Mossab is jumping right in. We got the Zangids, we got the Seljuks, we got everything else. Uh, I'm speaking not of how does. Uh, uh, yeah, all of these groups you're mentioning, you're mentioning, are all true, but I'm saying they're not part of the common Muslim narrative. I mean, the Ottomans are oh, almost
1: now. Just, just a just a just a deviation, just for the yeah. sake of uh, wholeness. Yeah, we did import the, we did export the Mamluks king. And the victory of uh, Anul Jalut from the sub, uh, from the South Asia to the Middle East, just for the sake of record.
0: OK. Uh, uh, I don't understand that point. Uh, explain further. While the, the
1: guy who, uh, uh, what is his name? Uh, Sultan uh, Ebers? Yeah. Uh, the one who uh, de- defeated the Mongols of Anul Jalut yeah. is from South Asia. Oh, really? He's he not a uh, Should have known. Okay, and then so these particular
0: things depend upon where we are in the world, right? So uh, other empires and such. In terms of Shia tradition, it would be the narratives of of the imams. Okay, no, he was presenting, he was an Egyptian in Egypt. <laughs> uh, and then it's almost like right here, we have Muhammad Ali. Right, um, and then right here, we might also have the establishment of Pakistan, again, for some people. But I'm suggesting this right here is the general Muslim narrative. And then we might have 9-11. What do you think? I'm suggesting that the common Muslim narrative is the life of the Prophet peace be upon him, a few blips from the rightly guided caliphs, and then a, a few moments in history. This is all pre YouTube, right? YouTube, you're going to have uh, you're going to have Ertugrul and and you know I'm sure there's going to be a series sooner or later about Salahuddin himself. It's going to be a thousand episodes. And, and such, and so some of these things start getting filled in, which I'm also saying is 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 uh, more positive than negative. Uh, Solon makes a, a wonderful point too. Let's also add some more blips here, so not just Salahuddin. We'll say Muslim science scientists, but I'd even suggest that for every. Uh, every 10 or 50 Muslims who can say, we had Muslim science before everyone else, they can't name a single scientist, right? Just in the same way that, you know, many will say the Quran talks about the embryo before science even discovered it, but they're not going to tell- be able to tell you which ayah it's actually they're referring to. Okay, but this is the point. Okay, so already the movie about Salahuddin, King of Heaven, great movie, Orlando, Yeah. See, it would have been better if it was originally Russell Crowe, but Russell is working on a different movie, but that's just me talking. So what do you think? Am I missing anything else in the common Muslim narrative? And then what is this the narrative of? Is it the narrative of, of heroes or victims? What do you think? Anyone? I'd suggest this is still... Go ahead.
1: I would say victims and defeatists at that ultimate defeatists. I would suggest that on the
0: surface it's a narrative of heroes, but it's actually a defeated narrative. Okay, like look at this one guy we had. Look at this other one guy we had. Look at this other one guy we had. Good. Okay. Uh, and then nine eleven is is sort of like you know we don't really have a choice in there. You know it's been chosen for us. Okay. Okay, so Sammy is asking, is this not a true narrative because it's discontinuous? But this is the point I'm making about a narrative. A narrative is not the same as, as a history because this is also, uh, this is, even though it's one arrow, this is completely scattered, right? Greece, Rome, and then the Renaissance Reformation, this is all invented. It's a bunch of scattered points tied together that actually avoid the cause and effect in whatever capacity we can find it in history. Narrative of humility, uh, fascinating. Uh, I think, uh, moment. I think you have a good, a very good heart, Mashallah. Maybe <laughs> nicer than my heart. I'm suggesting this is a narrative of defeat hiding as heroism, because in the same conversation, it is also this sense that we defeated the Mongols, we defeated the the Crusades, and we defeat all these people. No, these were other people who did that. You were sitting in a coffee shop at the time, or you know, 800 years later, benefiting from from their work. any thoughts so then uh, would we include other prophets peace be upon them so in the common muslim narrative even like think about how many times at the beginning of this course i asked okay what was the religion of musa when i talk to muslims of all ages the default answer is going to be jewish okay when we say very very categorically they're all prophets of islam Like that's literally, for those who've taken my academic classes, that's almost the first day uh, lecture or the second day lecture. Okay, so then the follow-up question is, what about the narrative of the prophet himself? So, if we Usually in most of the biographies of the Prophet, peace be upon him, we list give or take the same 20 or so moments. So just uh, lay them all out or type them on the, on the, uh, on the, the group chat. What, uh, what are the events we include in the, the life of the Prophet, peace be upon him? So hijrah, definitely. So let me, let me draw this arrow again while you're all contributing. So right here in the middle-ish, I'm going to put hijrah. Okay. First revelation. Yes. Okay. Orphaned. Yes. So I'm going to put all that in childhood. But being orphaned. Absolutely. And relate to that birth. Okay, and so death of parents, adoption, conquest of Mecca. Uh, Especially Badr and Ohad. Okay. Conquest of Mecca, I'm going to put it with Hudaybiyah. Marriage to Khadijah, yes. Um, night journey. You know what's interesting about the night journey? The night journey, the majority opinion is that the night journey is right before the hijrah. But some actually are of the opinion that it's, it happens all the way at the very, very beginning. Uh, very, very shortly after the first revelation. So if you go into Tabari's history of, of, of the, the life of the prophet peace be upon him, that period, he speaks of the night journey as was well happening within the first two years, which is fascinating because think about how much that affects the rest of the story. Uh, what else? Uh, in fact, yeah, let's put Hudaybiyah as a separate thing. And we're gonna put Ahzab, the Battle of the Trench. What else? Year of sorrow, yes. Okay, death, yes. Okay, dive, another good example right there. And so another way to think about this is that when this is all being taught, in Sunday school, what are the events that are being focused on? Other marriages, I think primarily the marriage to Aisha. Uh, in terms of what is commonly being addressed. What? Uh, what else? I think there's somebody whose who's microphone is on. Um, farewell hudge yes and i would include the last sermon although technically it's actually the sermon of of the hudge he has he has more after that okay a couple things what else are we forgetting rebuilding of the kaaba and then he he happens to be walking by and then he's the one who puts the black stone. What else? Change of Tibla, which is right about here. Bahira, yes. I think we have most of them. You know what's funny? Uh, the story that all of you know, which is next to impossible to find. I'm saying next to, although it may be impossible to find. Uh, the story that all of you know is the next door neighbor who used to throw garbage on him. And then one day she's not, she's not throwing garbage at him and then the prophet peace upon him visits her to check on her and she's so surprised that she becomes Muslim. Did it actually happen? All of us know that story. Okay. Can you find it anywhere? may not have actually happened. I suspect because it is such a widespread story, it probably did happen. But another example of that is this guy when the prophet peace upon him was young and said, and the guy said, okay, stay right here. And the prophet says, okay, peace be upon him. And then the guy leaves and he comes, up, comes back after three days and the prophet is still there. And he asked, why are you here? He says, you told me to wait here. Yeah. Uh, did it happen? Never seen it in print anywhere. Good. Uh, any other things? Escaping murder, yes. And I, I would frame that as being part of the hijra itself, but part of the story is also the escape. You know, let's see uh, the fun part of well, of the many fun parts. So they ask Ali, <laughs> sorry, Omar, I ruined your, your childhood. I asked uh, Ali, uh, no, no, sorry. Uh, somebody asked Ali, May Allah be pleased with him. You know, When you were in bed in his place, uh, weren't you afraid you were gonna die? Weren't you afraid they're gonna kill you? And Ali says, no, because the prophet says, peace be upon him, I'll see you in Yathrib. Right. and so he, he was convinced that he was not gonna die. Uh, Asma, another good example. Uh, yeah, the cleaning of his heart, the open heart surgery as Sunday school teachers like to call it. Moment, you have a question. You don't have a question? Oh, I thought you raised your hand, okay. Um, open heart. So calling the Meccans tribe, uh, Meccan tribes to the message, uh, I, uh, that's definitely in his story, as we know. Um, I think the only part of that that's really part of the common narrative is basically Abu Lahab. And maybe preaching during the pilgrimages. But even that, I think, is not as commonly taught. Anyone else? But again, what are we illustrating here? We're not talking so much about, about uh, the, um, we're not talking about what is the biography of the prophet, peace be upon him but we are talking about the narrative, uh, the building of the mosque, his arrival in Yathrib, all the things he did. Arrival in Yathrib, and so what are the things that we commonly teach? The Khuba, right? He's bringing the Ansars and the Mahajirs together. He makes the pact with the Jewish tribes. He, he established Masjid quba first, and then this Masjid he's building with everyone else, <clears throat> and then he changes the name of the town, yeah, marriage to Aisha we have. Anything else? Conversion of Hamza and Omar, both of them. Yes. So. So Hamza is right around here. Actually, it's I think it's after Abu Lahab. But I could be wrong here. Hamza. And then Omar, uh, the Jews' plot of his life. Uh, there, I think the part that is most focused on is after Ahzab. it's Bani uh, uh, So The bay'ah, the bay'ah is something that gets some attention if we're either in Sufi movements or Khilafah movements. Uh, I don't know if it's given as much attention in terms of general Sunday school teaching. Okay. And again, I'm using Sunday school as the generic. Here's, here's the formula. Anything else? Tabuk, I think, is there not given as much attention. The, one, the expeditions that are given the most attention are Bother, Ohud, and Ahzab. And so, for example, what's often not given attention are the events leading up to uh, the Battle of Bother. Ah, Abraha, perfect example. And so, this is even before birth. That was the most unstraight line. The event of Surafil. Anything else? I'm trying to think of uh, other big things we might be forgetting. I think the conversion of Hamza and Omar are often in Sunni circles given more uh, more attention than the conversion of just about anyone else, uh, except maybe Khalid bin Walid later on. Um, In Shia circles, the focus is on Khadija herself as well as Ali's conversion. I mean, we often speak of Khadija that she believed in him before he believed in himself. Uh, The scandal. Ah, Habsha, absolutely. And so we have... And then we have... The scandal associated with Aisha radiallahu anha. Death of his grandfather, yeah, I put that in there. Death of both Abu Abdul Muttalib and Abu Talib. I'm gonna keep those both as part of being orphaned, but that is what we are commonly teaching Yeah, I think Asma, you're correct too. Here and now I'm just running out of space. But if you think how many events we have so far, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28. Yeah, give or take 28, spanning 63 years. And so how many wives of the Prophet, peace be upon him, can the common Muslim uh, uh, name other than Khadija or Aisha? I'm not talking about all of you. You're all like superstars, mashallah, but who else came hero. How many of the daughters can the common uh, uh, uh yeah, a lot of people definitely not mentioned Maria Guptia. How many of the, the children of the Prophet, peace be upon him, other than Fatima, can the common Muslim name? What do you think? Ibrahim, perhaps, Umm Kulthum, perhaps, maybe Zainab, yeah. Maybe, but yeah, it's still gonna be like one or two or three. And these are the children of the prophet, peace be upon him. We can memorize, we we all remember the two grandsons better than we even know the children themselves. Yeah, yes, yes, exactly, Sami. So if we were to look at this as a summary of events, so forget hero or victim, what would you summarize how we depict the prophet, peace be upon him, through his story, if you were to summarize it in one sentence or in one word. What do y'all think? I think it is perseverance in the process of delivering the message, right? Perseverance, obedience to Allah in, well, Sammy, of course, is Islam. Thanks, man. Okay, but in the process of delivering the the, the message. When we look at all the events of his life, there's this recurring theme of perseverance. Like when we look at the life of the prophet, peace be upon him, often there's an element of sympathy for him, feeling for him. Yes, overcoming adversity, exactly. Look at what all he's gone through. And I would include character, that he's maintained his integrity no matter what has hit him. So yeah, I would say sabr. That is often how we frame the prophet, peace be upon him.
1: So, well, we, we remember the grandsons of the Rasulullah because one of them is the ultimate victim. Feeds mm-hmm. into our victim. victim in in and fact,
0: that was a very, very important point, uh, an event in terms of Muslim narratives. that is given tremendous attention not just in Shias, but in almost all of Sunni and Shia history. Martyrdom of Imam Hussein, Very, very important point but is that framed as a victimhood or is that framed as heroic or what do y'all think? I think it's framed (laughs) as heroism against tyranny. Yeah. Okay. So if we were to rewrite the narrative of the prophet peace be upon him as a hero, and I don't mean like Joseph Campbell's hero, I'm just saying as a hero, what events would we place focus on? Like if we were to change this, uh, can I go back to the previous board? Yeah, Uh, I suspect, oh, am I freezing? I might be freezing in a second. Uh, I think the return to Mecca, I think the battles would be part of the heroism uh, uh, the, especially the amnesty, the uniting people, the treaties. Yeah, I think all those things would be part of the heroism and such. Yeah. What if we framed them as a victim? Then what? Then we'd probably place focus on the persecution of the Quraysh. Yeah, through all the suffering. The persecution of the Quraysh, the year of sadness, the people at Taif. Right? And then the Quraysh won't give up, they go after him and bother, and then they go after him again in Uhad, and then again in Ahzab, so on and so on. And so you see the point that I'm making is that a narrative often has some sort of consistent impulse from start to finish. So in the same way I said in the, in the first course, how you perceive of Allah is going to influence how you interpret life. How you perceive of Islam is going to influence how you practice your Islam. I'm also saying every one of us has a built-in narrative, a narrative about our own selves, a narrative about the community that we belong to, or the society itself, and then even figures within that community. And so what often happens, and so in Shia narratives, uh, Hussein is, is a, he's a victim, yeah, um, he's still portrayed, it's very akin to how Jesus is portrayed in Catholicism as opposed to Protestant Christianity. And so Jesus in Catholicism is the one who is suffering on behalf of everyone else. And in Protestant Christianity, he's the one who after the resurrection, he leads everyone to, to eternal life. And so, so it's very akin to how Isa, Islam is depicted in Catholicism. You know, that he's the one who's taking this for all of us. So others' perception of Islam is the aggressor. Uh, Stephanie Mirza, if I can ask you to to expand on that, um, I don't know, um, to explain further. So, so, So the point again is, if we were to take this further, and this I'm not asking you to do here, if you were to write your own narrative, if I asked you to list out your life according to 20 moments, concepts, ideas, etc. Write out your narrative. And we can do 30 because our list of the Prophet, was close to 30, but, but most of you are far younger than 63 years, mashallah, but um, uh, make that list out. Try to make it as honest with yourself about your own narrative, how you are perceiving the defining moments of your life okay? and the defining phases of your life. And then ask yourself, If a stranger were to look at this, what would they perceive about you? So this is an optional assignment that I'm happy to go through with you. Write your narrative. In 20 moments. Uh, ideas, themes. And then if you'd like, you and I can go through it together. Okay. Because chances are, uh, sort of like a concept album, yeah. Chances are that what you will see in your narrative is also going to parallel how you see Allah Ta'ala. Okay. Or how you saw Allah Ta'ala in different points of your life. You will perhaps find a parallel there. I'm saying I'm suggesting you most likely will or how you look at your life today. So me at age, how old am I? Age 48, mashallah. If I look at my life of 48 years and if I were to go back at age 38 and did the same exercise and 28 uh, the points that are being emphasized are going to change. And my depiction, my perception of Allah is also different at those those three periods of my life. 18, age eight, and I expect at age 58, inshallah. Wills me to live that long, 68, 78, same thing's gonna happen. Okay. This is also the fun thing side point when you watch, like, if there's a movie that you like over the course of your life, how your view of the movie evolves um, 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 over the course of your life, or if there's a particular you know, novel that you like. Okay. Next big question, finishing it off because we're already way past time, uh, is which collective narrative. is also yours. Uh, we may view the narrative of life of the Prophet as, perse- as perse- perseverance. The popular negative view of Islam is a Muslims are aggressor. Yeah, that I agree with. Yeah, yeah thank you for the clarification. Okay, so what I'm saying here is <clears throat> uh, all of us, except for maybe one or two, are, are American in citizenship or lifelong residents or what have you. Uh, when you see this, Do you feel that this is part of your story? And what I mean by that is, are these things happening in your history? Because one of the fascinating things about when Allah Ta'ala is speaking to the children of Israel in Ayahs 47 through 59, the revelation in the Quran is taking place around the year 620, and, the, and Allah Ta'ala is going to be saying to them, remember when I saved you from the Pharaoh. Okay. But that was 3,000 or 2,000 years prior. And so what we see in the narrative of the children of Israel, which we find common in many parts of American Judaism, is those are all things that happened to us. We were enslaved by the Pharaoh. We were liberated from the Pharaoh. We were being attacked by Nebuchadnezzar. We did such and such and such and such. But I'm gonna suggest to you for for us as Muslims, um, a person may or may not look at this as their story. Meaning even if I ask this question to an African-American, is this whole thing your story? Chances are only beginning from slavery to now, but not the stuff before. But if I look at this, do you see this as your story? So when I did that big complicated diagram of two of of, you know the different empires and such, or the different phases of Muslim thought, do you see that as your story? That I'm suggesting to try to do. That is your ancestry. By virtue of signing of you signing on as a Muslim, regardless of what you you are ethnically, whether you're Arab, Desi, White, European, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Okay. all of this stuff is your history, is your ancestry, okay. including all the stuff that's not mentioned. Likewise, uh, when the companions are being tortured, uh, you know what's also not listed here. Um. Yasser and Sumaya. Okay. That is often something that we teach. When the companions are being tortured, I don't think we see that as though we were the ones being tortured. That we often separate ourselves from the companions as these ancestors or these people, these spiritual ancestors that we revere, that for whom we should be grateful, but we don't necessarily see them as our ancestors as though this is our story. And I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I'm just saying in terms of how we perceive the world. And so to take it further, when we speak of what's happening with Muslims today, the question is, when we look at the persecution of the Uyghurs, do you see that as you being persecuted versus when a white guy walks into New Zealand and opens fire in a masjid, versus when something happens in the United States to Muslims. Like when it happens in the United States to Muslims, I suspect that most of us feel like we are being attacked. If it happens in the West, less so. If it happens in some of our back home countries, maybe more connected with our back home countries. So for example, what is happening uh, uh, to Palestinians in different levels all of us feel, but if you're Palestinian, of course you're gonna feel that more. And if you're Arab, you're gonna feel more connected to that potentially than to what's happening to Muslims in India right now. And I'm not saying this again as as positive or negative, I'm talking about how we are often conceiving of things. Because the similar question is, if there's someone who is non-Muslim in your city who is objectively marginalized, do you feel that you are being marginalized? I don't think that's part of how our narrative is. I think the dominant uh, in uh, the dominant Muslim narrative, including uh, a bit of history and including the Prophet himself, like our calendar, is through the frame of obedience. obedience, and then by extension, disobedience. An example of this is that uh, something you never hear as an accusation against Palestinians that in the 90s was a common accusation against Bosnians who just survived a genocide was that the Bosnians were often being pointed fingers at them saying, you guys were not really true Muslims. And I doubt you would ever hear that regarding Palestinians. And Because I would have students that would literally say to me Bosnian students, so there's there's a there's a uh, 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 Chicago, you know, like St. Louis was one of those refugee points that a lot of Bosnians came to in the early 1990s. That students would say to me, "Okay, first we just got wiped out by the Serbians for being too Muslim, and then now here, we're, there are people are saying we're not Muslim enough, you know." But I suspect that would never even be said about the Muslims of India. Even by Pakistanis would never say that about the Muslims of India who are being who are being wiped out today. That I think is a negative part of our of our narrative. Good. So once again, what is the narrative? What if you feel marginalized on behalf of everyone be marginalized? That's essentially the question that I'm raising. Again, I'm, I'm not saying that this is what we should, because I think if we were marginalized, felt marginalized on behalf of everyone, uh, I don't know if a, a human brain can actually handle it. Okay. Uh, so Omar al-Khadra, uh, what I'm saying is that, uh, when the Bosnian, uh, in, the, in the 1990s and early 2000s, after the, the genocide, the ethnic cleansing of the Bosnians in the late 1980s, early 1990s, like the high point was give or take around 92. Uh, uh, the sentiment, uh, especially among Desis and Arabs, uh, very often vocalized sentiment was that this is horribly wrong. Good. But you guys are also not very good Muslims. And thus in a way you're easy targets. Good. And that type of statement, I've never heard given towards Palestinians. And that type of statement, uh, I don't expect I would hear towards the Muslims of India. So, and I'm raising this as, as thoughts. What do you all think? And you're free to, to, to disagree or to qualify it. I also do think, yeah, but yeah go
1: ahead. I'm sorry, but Palestinians have the unique uh, distinction of having the Israelis, the Jews, as their foes. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, that alone evokes visceral attitudes and reactions. I'd say that... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, please continue. It's not the Palestinians, uh, it's the Israelis that is evoking that sort of a reaction. And then uh, uh, what you're alluding to, do you think that kind of an empathy ever existed in the Muslim history? I mean, uh, the Spanish Reconquista happens when the Ottomans are at the height of their power. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are recorded uh, events where Spanish Muslims left Spain for North Africa and then chose to go back to Spain and wow. face the persecution over there rather than the the uh, the treatment that was meted out to them by fellow Muslims in North Africa and other it was, places. It was
0: that bad, subhanAllah. Wow. Yeah. It, Yes, well, I would say in the unique case of the Palestinians, and I am saying if we have to default to one, it should be sympathy and support. Uh, not only is it who, are, who not only is it the question of who are the oppressors, we also have Al Aqsa there, right? And uh, there is a default uh, uh, favoring uh, Arabs, but the same thing is not given to the Syrians. You know, uh, I do think there is an increased global Muslim social consciousness about Muslim persecution in different parts of the world that has been increasing decade by decade. Um, but it's still often tied in to persecution by non-Muslims. Because, for example, Shias, Ismaili, Sufis that are getting that are getting attacked in Pakistan don't get that much attention. Ahmadiyyas um, that are getting attacked in Pakistan don't get that much attention. Yeah. Yeah. And Uyghurs, yeah, I mean, beyond, beyond uh, Facebook, uh, I think uh, there is general quietness and such perhaps pan-Islamic political sentiments is basically an ideological weak basis for uh, solidarity. I think that's a very profound question. I think you might be you might be correct, uh, Abdullah. But, <clears throat> so, so the point I'm making is that whether we choose to have it or not, we do have a narrative, okay? And part of the narrative also includes the question of who is part of our story and who is not part of our story. So again, as we're gonna see in these next 13 or so ayahs, Allah Ta'ala is gonna be saying, Remember, I did this to you. I did this for you. Even though the people for whom he did it were 2000 years prior, okay? But that's not how our Muslim mind works. I'm not saying that it should. I'm just saying that that is a clear distinction between the Ummah of Muhammad peace be upon him and the people who regard themselves as the Ummah of Musa peace be upon him, okay? Okay, having said that, any other questions or thoughts? So I really encourage it as a personal exercise uh, to as an optional assignment to go through this and make your write your own narrative and see you know uh, as a lay person to see persecution or natural calamity as Allah punishing for some sins yeah that's commonly how we frame it uh, I'm surprised we haven't had more preachers who've been saying that, that COVID is God's punishment for XYZ like when the earthquake happened in in Kashmir there was a whole narrative there the, the tsunami. There's a whole narrative there regarding you know people and and misbehavior and such. Sometimes people decide that they're the ambassadors for God. Okay, <laughs> go. Any other questions or thoughts?
2: Um, I was wondering. Um, so a lot of times uh, in in Pakistan, at least um, uh, the. Narrative of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala punishing us uh, goes first to uh, being immodest, and that is most directly directed towards women. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Not maybe consciously, but uh, we notice it more here in the West, or Mm -hmm. West West uh, points to uh, to it very easily. Uh, why do you think that is built in that uh, the biggest sin that we are doing is being immodest rather than uh, getting away from really loving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala?
0: So um, in, in a simple anthropological view, uh, so Dr. Mahan Singh Siparda by, by Maududi, it might also go, it might literally go back to Mahdoodi. Uh, the point I was going to make is in terms of cultures, there are those cultures that are categorized as shame cultures and those that are considered guilt cultures. And so shame cultures are those where the default sentiment is shame. You have done this wrong and you have now embarrassed, you've humiliated our whole population. Right. And, and perhaps many Desi parents have heard something like that in their household uh, at different points. Guilt culture is, you should be, you, you know, you should be remorseful for what you've done. Yeah. But you're the one who's bearing it. And I feel bad that you have to go through the suffering, but you did it. And so so part of it can literally be this type of sentiment in, in for example, the subcontinent, like the ethos uh, of religion, the subcontinent includes a lot of fatalism, and I think it includes a lot of shame, uh, and then that can, gets associated with women as the honor of the, of the community, and so, so those types of, of complicated, sometimes convoluted, sometimes ridiculous uh, uh, outlooks, that would be my short answer
2: but that gets uh does that get does it even blind even the the uh, prominent scholars uh even though they can refer to uh the time of the prophet and how uh he handled things uh as far as how he he viewed the world Mm. uh is that you know is that is like is that the culture that makes it so easy to to come to that judgment? Mm-hmm.
0: So <clears throat> let me let me frame it this way. I think uh, all of us have a certain amount of blinders it, through which we look at the world that we don't realize we have. And we might get some education and we might widen the blinders. Sometimes we narrow them, but a lot of times we'll widen them. But there's still a lot of things we don't see. And so, uh, so when we think of the Quraysh burying their daughters, uh, I suspect that uh, for many of them, it didn't really occur to them how horrendous that practice was. uh, Because it was normal. And I think uh, any of us can acknowledge and agree that American foreign policy is thoroughly destructive to almost the rest of the world. And American foreign policy goes hand in hand with American capitalism, which goes hand in hand with the lifestyle that I'm living. And because this is my day-to-day lifestyle, uh, I am distant from the horrendous damage my lifestyle is causing unto people. And we'd like to think that, okay, even if it's in the same household, what often happens is that the victims of oppression also internalize their own oppression. And so just people see this as normal because that's just how life is. And so I would suggest yes, that many of, of the prominent scholars uh, in these regions, uh, the oppression might be right in front of them, and yet they might at the same time be too blind to actually notice it. And But I'm applying that to every one of us, you know, me, anyone here in this conversation, uh, that uh, there can be oppression and injustice right before our eyes, and we might be too blind to see it. And so I'm not letting them off the hook. I'm just making it as an explanation. I'm still... Uh, I still uh, am puzzled and troubled to the point when I started my, my doctoral program, I couldn't sleep because of this one particular issue. That in the subcontinent, what's what's how do the rape laws work? If a woman comes to the police and says, "Okay, I have been raped by someone outside of the family," then the police are taking that as a confession of 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 zina, and
1: no, then she's not a subcontinent, only Pakistan. I'm sorry, only Pakistan, only Pakistan, uh, not India or Bangladesh.
0: It was, it was also in India, too. I don't know if it's still there. I don't know if it's been reformed. Um, but but the point is that some scholar at some point wrote that as law. Okay. And that scholar either uh, is too, too blind to see what, or the scholars that are perpetuating it are too blind to see what that has done to women's lives. Okay. Um, or maybe the scholar thinks this is exactly what the text says. This is how we read it. And this is how the logic follows, and so so those unintended consequences, you know like I said, they used to keep they it used to literally I could not sleep at night because I was terrified by the under, unintended consequences of anything i 'm saying or doing I decided, okay maybe that 's going a little bit too far, but still it 's very frequently on my mind, you know uh, if we were to put ourselves in iqbal 's mind, you know who we revere in in the formation of Pakistan. Uh, Even though, let's be frank, if Iqbal, with his lifestyle, the way he looked, he would not be allowed to give a Jum'a Khutbah anywhere in Pakistan, Uh, 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 even though everyone reveres him. I mean, how would he be if he looked at what is Pakistan in 2020? You know, would he see it as the fulfillment of his vision? Would he be tormented? Uh, Those things, uh, those things terrify me. So that's a short and long answer for you, Basir.
1: As a Pakistani, I would say Iqbal would say that uh, Bon Voyage, <laughs>
0: Maybe, not yeah. speed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Going back to Sheikh Mujibur. Umar,
1: going back to a serious thing about obedience uh, yeah. being the key uh, uh, element in our in the Muslim DNA. Do you think this is possibly what imparted a sense of ummah to you? Because as opposed to today, uh, there was a relatively free movement of peoples. Common folks around Muslim lands, and as long as the, uh, the, those folks did not uh, uh, pose any threat to the established uh, political order of whichever land they formed themselves in, they were allowed to flourish. Would it be because of that obedient thing because the uh, the royal folk or the you know the the ruling clergy who had felt, or the ruling folk who had felt, or fell upon hard times in other lands, were not as welcomed in other Muslim lands, as opposed to the crown folk. And I think the, this common, uh, this mass movement or free movement of people is something that we've lost.
0: I think that's that's a very very fascinating point. Uh, uh, I think there's probably what, some wisdom to what you're saying. You know, your argument works for me. You know. Yeah. You know? Any other questions or thoughts?
2: Uh, uh, is it possible you can write down this this question that you were saying, or you can
0: reiterate it? Uh, which one? Uh, Dr. Kazi's question?
2: No, the, the one you said to what do you see as your history.
0: Okay, yeah. So basically, I mean, do you see it on the screen right now, or are you on the phone? This here?
2: Yeah, I can see it. That's, okay. that's the only one, or is there another
0: one? That's the only one that I wrote for us. I mean, other ones you can think about would be what would be the narrative. The Prophet, peace upon him would be the Muslim narrative, but the primarily one for your own self would be write out your own narrative in 20-ish points. Oh, the, uh to uh, your question, the, the website is Pandemic Quran Class 2. So Pandemic Quran Class is is the previous one. And this current one is pandemic round class two, which I've been updating with the recordings, and I'll be updating it with this one as well. Inshallah. Oh, did I record? Hopefully, I recorded this. Yeah, yeah, it's recording. Inshallah. Yeah. Okay, uh, I have to run to my next class, so we'll continue inshallah tomorrow. Right. Subhanakallahumma <laughs> bihamdika Nashaduillah ilaha illa anta ilaik. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika Nashaduillah ilaha illa anta ilaik. Subhanakallah, huma bihamdika, nashadu illa ilaha illa anta, nastafirika, one two we lake. May Allah tell the may Allah tell the you all, wa'akhir dawana, and Alhamdulillah,
1: here will be Alameen.